The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 4th, the preschool nemesis edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four years old, and Eliza, who is eight. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I am a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, but here coming to you live from Slate Studios in Brooklyn. And I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 16. Today on our show, we have a question for you about divorce. We have another about step-parenthood. We're going to have triumphs and fails. We're going to make recommendations. I'm going to call it something else. And on Slate Plus, Allison Benedict is going to join to share an April Fool's fail. Don't miss it. We're going to start with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm happily go first. I want to give a big triumph to my son, Henry, for um, backing up his school administration on a great uh, decision that they made to change the traditional graduation gown colors from uh, green for boys and white for girls to all green for everyone. Uh, this is something that a lot of students in his school are very unhappy about. They feel it's bucking some sort of tradition. And he had the same sort of knee-jerk reaction to it that a lot of his peers did. And then after thinking about it for literally an hour, realized that it was a good decision that was meant to uh, bring more equality to the school. I mean, everyone gets the same diploma after all. Why separate kids by gender graduation? And also doesn't put kids who have uh, non-conforming gender, I- and gender identities in the position of having to choose what color gown that they uh, would wear at graduation. And he put a very long, impassioned thing about it on Instagram that got a lot of his classmates' attention and Um, unfortunately, as he pointed out, like sometimes it does take like the white dude saying something for people to listen. Um, but he's, uh, you know, kind of despite being kind of aware of that, really leveraging his, uh, platform in a really positive way. And I think he's right. I think this was a great decision, uh, by the school. And I am really proud of him for standing up for it and for reaching out to kids and talking to them about how they feel about it and trying to change their minds and get them to not sign a stupid petition going around saying to change it back. As Henry points out, uh, public school is not actually a democracy as much as kids might think it is sometimes. Uh, Principals are not elected officials. (laughs) They are employees in charge of stewarding the school in uh, the direction that they, you know, see as positive whenever they can. So that's what's happening here. And I really stand by him for standing up for this. Love it. That's great. Cool. Carvel, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, this has been a week of, uh, triumphs for both kids. We, we, it was spring break for the kids and, uh, Joe and Ezra went to Iceland for spring Mm -hmm. break, which was crazy. And then Georgia and I were home alone and bored. And so we decided to do a road trip to LA from the Bay area and Georgia grabbed one of our friends and, uh, the three of us drove down to LA and spent a few days down there. And both trips were like tremendous. And then we reunited at the airport and it was like this awesome family reunion and the kids, um, I mean, Joe and Ezra just seemed like they had just come back from another planet. They could almost not put into words what they experienced. They did like the ice caving thing and then they were swimming in lagoons between continental plates and all kinds of stuff. And they were on beaches made of glaciers and just it was just so wild. And they were just so happy and they didn't. They got along. I think they were worried that they were going to fight or something the whole time and they didn't. And uh they did great. And then Georgia and I just decided and her friend decided to just go to L.A., 
And uh, I, you know, I went to high school there, so I, it's been a long time since I've seen the city as a tourist. But taking these two kids there, I felt like, oh, I, now I get to just like blatantly do all the touristy stuff in LA. So like, <laughs> we stayed we stayed in Hollywood Boulevard, and we like went to like various locations where TV shows they like have been filmed, the exteriors of them have been filmed, and we ran into Chris Rock at a shoe store, which was like <laughs> ticked off our like celebrity sighting. Although Georgia claims that she sighted a, a YouTuber that she loves at a, at a Walgreens on Crenshaw, which I believe her. And uh, and then we went to like the Starbucks that the Kardashians go to. I mean, we just did. And we went to the beach and we also saw the Super Bloom. For those of you not in California, the Super Bloom is this crazy wild thing that happens where um, all these fields of poppies all bloom at the same time. And it's a little bit different every year. But this last year, there was so much rainfall in California that the Super Bloom was phenomenal. You can almost see it from space. Uh, and so we, we stopped in Antelope Valley, which is like 90 miles northeast of L.A., and just were in these fields of pop. I mean, it was just, it was, everything just worked out so well. And it was just chill. And it was like, everything was great. And so I just feel like two family trips, no fighting, all the kids happy, everyone satisfied, spring break taken care of. Georgie, now they're back in school. And, you know, I just, I'm just enjoying this feeling of relative familial calm before the next terrible thing happens. <laughs> Traveling is the best. It's the best. Yeah, I have a trip planned with my kids at the end of the month. And like, I cannot wait because it definitely every time I take them on a trip, it like resets everything. It puts everything in the best possible place. It really does. Yeah. And we also found, too, that like the one on one thing is really good. Like when it's one parent, one kid, there's almost never any tension. Right. It's when there's one parent, two kids or two, God forbid, all four of us, which is a nightmare. Um, it's something about the kids together just like creates all the fighting dynamics or whatever. But um, there's it's just it just makes really special one parent, one kid. Well, it's like a love triangle, right? When you have two kids and a parent, I mean, who okay. who who do you love really? Who's it gonna be? It, there's no. This is true. Yeah. I, um, I no, I love that. When when uh, it's been Eliza has gone away with Tally a few times, and me and Leo have had like dude time. Um, and it's super fun to have dude. Oh, and then when Leo was being born, then uh, me and Eliza hung out for a while. I guess not while he was being born, but immediately afterwards. <laughs> When Eliza came down with Coxsackie virus and the two of us had to hang out in this empty apartment in oh our building so God. we didn't get next to the baby. You guys had to quarantine? Yeah, we had to quarantine wow. for like six days. That's and crazy. It, it was difficult, but we definitely came out of it closer than we went. Right. It, I mean, you would have to. You would have to. One of you would be dead. <laughs> that, those are the two <laughs> those are the possibilities ones. there. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I have a minor triumph as well. I'm sorry, listeners. This is a three triumph week. <laughs> um, so the backstory is there's a kid in Leo's class named Kevin who Leo describes as his nemesis. <laughs> does he use that word? <laughs> he does. Wow, that is strong. Because, you know, he's a fan of superheroes. Strong Brooklyn and, vibe and he, there. And he knows that, like, the Joker is Batman's nemesis. Yes. <laughs> and, and he knows that Lex Luthor is Superman's nemesis. And he knows that his nemesis is this kid, Kevin. Wow. And it's unclear exactly what happened to identify Kevin as Leo's nemesis. <laughs> like, it, what, what, what set that dynamic up? But now, like... He has his nemesis, and then he also has his assistant, which is his best friend, Finn. <laughs> and Kevin has his assistant, which I assume is Kevin's own best yeah. friend. And so the, the play is constantly about, like, tricking and trapping and sneaking and fighting between the nemeses and the assistants and the whole thing. It's very elaborate, and it seems like it's obviously fun for him and exciting for him, but it does seem to involve genuine em 
enmity. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It mm-hmm. doesn't seem like he's my friend and we play this game where mm-hmm. he's the nemesis. It, it seems like, oh, no, he's really my nemesis. Mm. This morning, um, we went into to school and we were there a little early as we sometimes are. And so we hung out in the cafeteria and we ran into Finn, the, the assistant who was actually his best friend. <laughs> um, and, and then they were like, oh, no, there he is. There's Kevin. And there was like there were it was immediately it was obviously going to be like a real vibe. Um, and the minor triumph I had is I walked straight up to Kevin's mom and I just started a like parental conversation with her and just like demonstrated to Leo like, no, we're being friendly. I'm being friendly. We're having a conversation about how was your spring break? Oh, we went to Disney World. Oh, that must have been exciting. What did mm-hmm. you do? And um, the three of them, the three kids were just kind of left like not being scrutinized for a few minutes. <laughs> and at first... Leo was like, "Mm -mm, no, mm -mm," like pressing into me, like you cannot leave me unsupervised with my nemesis in this way. Um, But after, you know, we had like a good 10 minute, how was your spring break conversation? And by the end, it sort of seemed like the three of them were acting normal around each other. And I don't know how much of an accomplishment that is because maybe that's what they do anyway, but it didn't seem like it was going that way at first. So um, maybe I have helped to break down some of the bonds of nemesishood uh, between Leo and Kevin. Uh, <laughs> we will we will see. Probably it had no effect at all, but at least it signaled to him that I'm not on board with this whole sort of schema in which the two of them are, are, are uh, oppositional to one another. Hmm. What's so interesting about that story is that... He considers himself the hero. Oh, of course. Not the nemesis no. and not the assistant. No. It's like his story. <laughs> yes. And everyone else is positioned around him. That I mean, I think that's natural, but that's definitely Leo all over. Like, <laughs> he, he's definitely the main guy in any story that he's involved with. Uh, that he's definitely like, person. does his assistant know that he's his assistant? Or is his assistant I, going home and being like, my assistant Leo and I? I, I worry. <laughs> I worry that the assistant knows that he's the assistant. <laughs> That's even worse. Yes. No, I'm not happy about that. That's the next thing we got to work on. First, this one is not your nemesis. Next, that one is not your assistant. Next, this one is not your love interest. They're all independent human beings. It's it's going to take a while, but, but we got to put in the work. A lot of deprogramming. Yeah, happens. exactly. I love it. <sighs> Nickelodeon's got your preschoolers covered from sunrise to bedtime with four brand new podcasts. Grab their backpack and go on a culinary quest with Dora's Recipe for Adventure. Make game time great time with Let's Guess Who with Josh and Blue. And tuck in for adventure with Nickelodeon's Goodnight Bedtime Stories. Plus, we've got a brand new season of Storytime with Josh and Blue. Search Nickelodeon on your favorite podcast app to listen. Now's the time we do the business. What are you doing on June 8th? It's a Saturday. Are you going to be in New York City? If you are, we want to see you. Come to the first ever Mom and Dad Are Fighting Playdate, a live show for parents and their kids. It's all part of Slate Day, an amazing explosion of live Slate podcasting excitement that will also feature The Waves, What Next, Trumpcast, Decoder Ring, Hit Parade, The Gist, all your other favorite Slate shows. Uh, you should definitely come to this. Slate Day takes place June the 8th at the High Line in New York City. To find out more, go to slate.com slash slate day 2019. That's slate.com slash slate day 2019. Hope to see you there. 
As always, if you have a question for mom and dad are fighting, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or you can send us an email at momanddadatslate.com. Uh, you can discuss this show and your own parenting triumphs, fails, and problems at the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. It is a great conversation. On Slate Plus today, Allison Benedict is going to share an April Fool's fail. Uh, if you want to hear that segment and another like it every single week, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. It's just $35 for your first year. You get no ads in your Slate podcast. You get extra segments on this show and our other great shows. Uh, it's good stuff. You're also supporting us and helping make these podcasts happen. Slate.com slash momanddadplus to sign up for Slate Plus today. Okay, back to the show. All right, time to take a question from a listener. This one came to us over email. If you want to email us, you can do that. Our email address is momanddad at slate.com. This question is being read for us by Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I'm currently in the process of getting a divorce from the father of my children, ages four and 17 months. This separation was not my choice. My soon-to-be ex-husband and I had a very rough 2018, which included a number of surgeries, most of which were mine, and most of which were pregnancy or child-related, as well as an acute bout with postpartum depression and anxiety. He was not a supportive partner during all of this, going as far as to tell me that my postpartum mood disorders were not a big deal and that I should just get over them. Midway through the year, we sought couples counseling, but I don't feel that he used our time effectively, and he eventually determined the work was too hard and that he didn't want to do it, his words. I am heartbroken over the destruction of my family. But I know now that this man is not someone I want to be with, nor was our relationship one I wanted modeled for our children. What I'm struggling with now is how should I operate in the context of our larger family? I'm wary of my ex's family support of him during this process, and had to go as far as to ask his parents to stop reaching out to me because it was impeding my grieving and healing process. With that said, my daughters have aunts and cousins on his side of the family, of whom I am very fond, and I wouldn't want to cut them out of my life just because they happen to be related to him. How do I navigate this? Part of me wants to distance myself as much as possible from this toxic man and everything related to him, but another part of me yearns to continue the relationships I cultivated with his family over the last 10 years in a way that feels safe and healthy for me and my girls. Thanks in advance for your guidance. Torn and confused. Yeah, this is a tough situation. It's certainly one um, that I can relate to, but kind of on the opposite way, because I think my experience with breakups like this has been a desire to model for my kids at least some civility across that family boundary and then that not seeming to want to be reciprocated toward me. That's been my mm. experience anyway, at least until, you know, some long period of time had passed. So on the one hand, I'm very tempted to tell this writer in her, you know, you're lucky in a way that your in-laws and you know your, your soon-to-be ex-husband's family still sees you as part of the family. Ultimately, this is where a lot of people want to be, and this is kind of what they're offering you right now. However, you are right to be wary of the dynamic right now. And I think it is completely appropriate uh, that you told your in-laws, you know, I, I need some time. Keep your distance. I need to set this boundary so that I can move forward. And I think it's OK with the relatives that you want to maintain the relationship with 
to tell them pretty much exactly what you told us. Say this has been a very difficult year. Ultimately, in the long term, obviously, it'll be better for our kids if there's a fluid and um, open understanding that, you know, you are our kids family. My side of the family is our kids family. And the, the more civil and the more friendly we are, the better. But right now, with the dynamics of the relationship being in the midst of the breakup, this is really hard on me, and I am trying to sort all of these things out, and I hope that you don't see this as me closing a door, but as me trying to tell you, yes, I, you matter to me. I want to maintain a long-term relationship with you, both me and my kids. Uh, I just can't do it right now. I think that that's the message you should send to the relatives you feel closest to. You may not get the answer, by the way, that you're hoping to get, which is, oh, I feel the same way, blah, blah, blah. You may get a message of, you know, we're not talking to you anymore. What are you talking about? We're taking your ex's side here. Because you kind of have to expect that most relatives in this situation will do that because they are going to be with him forever. Uh, they can't help it. They're going to be at Thanksgiving with him. They're going to see him at family gatherings. They're related to him. He is their family. At some point, he may, you know, have a new relationship and they may have a new in-law that they're going to have a relationship with. And that is what could very possibly happen. So I think it's important to be understanding of their support of him. Uh, and I think it's OK to set those boundaries. And I wouldn't be shy about just doing it now and being just as transparent with them as you've been with us in this email. I think this was really beautifully written and you're clearly a good communicator. And I, I wouldn't be shy about doing just that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with this. Like I this I had a very similar situation, not after marriage, but after the end of a one long term relationship that I was in that ended just like the most painful thing I've ever experienced, really, in a relationship. And the person's family was still really nice to me and re like reaching out to me and wanting to have coffee with me and wanting to just like check in and make sure that I was OK. And like on the one hand, that felt good because it was like, OK, like I, you know, like this at, at least people recognize that I'm not the bad guy here, which was nice, especially in that situation. But on the other hand, it took me a while to recognize that it was actually really painful to even be in communication with them because things like this are transitions and transitions take time. This is something I feel like I, I say a lot, but, but it's because it's true. And like the, the, the mode from a, a marriage and in a marriage and then all the sort of like pain, pain and toxicity of ending that marriage and then sort of moving on to the next thing, those things all take time. And you have to sort of walk through this like shat, this like, tunnel of transition to get from this point to this point where you have a new life and you've recognized that the old thing is over and it's done with and you're finished with it and you're moving on. That takes time. That takes effort. And it's hard to do that effectively if all of these like elements of the previous life are still lingering around and grabbing a hold of you. And so it's perfectly reasonable to want to separate yourself from this family. Uh, and I think it's the right thing to do. And so I think you can say that and say, look, I mean, I, I appreciate it. It's, I, you know, like I, it's I love you guys, but I, I need some time and I trust that you'll be able to give that to me. And it's true. They may be like, well, screw you then. But if that's the case, then, OK, you got to let it go. You, one of your concerns is about making sure your kids are going to have a relationship with these loving uh, relatives. And that's going to happen either way, presuming that the that the, their father is still in their life. Like that's the way it works in divorce couples where there's some kind of shared custody or something like that. 
like that where like you just go and you're with dad's family and you go and you're with mom's family. And so the kids will probably still continue to have a relationship with them. It might not be through you and you may no longer have a relationship with them or your relationship with them may transition to the point where you're sort of cordial and you're polite and you kind of like like each other's posts on Facebook, but that you're not really hanging out and bonding um, and that's a bummer, but that is one of the things that happens with divorce. Mm. And you have to just kind of keep it moving and and find your way to a new life because that's ultimately what this is about for you. Yeah. The one thing I would add is the really important relationship here is is your relationship with your husband, which has, has fallen apart as a marriage and, and which is going to have to at some point be reconstructed as co-parents. Mm. And uh, it may not be that you will ever be able to feel warmly towards him and it, it may never be easy, but the two of you are going to have to stay in contact with, again, assuming he doesn't just abandon the children, the two of you are going to have to be in contact about uh, the logistical aspects of co-parenting and then about the other more more emotional aspects of co-parenting. Uh, and rebuilding that, it sounds like from from what you say about the end of your marriage, uh, rebuilding that new relationship just seems like it's going to be extremely difficult. Like that's a hard situation to be in and it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to be really, really hard at first and, and hopefully gradually it will get easier. But your your relationships with his family uh, are, are less important, frankly, than than figuring out what that relationship with him is going to look like. Uh, and it seems like um, making that a priority, trying to maintain a warm, friendly, familial relationship with your, your ex-husband's aunts and cousins um, feels like it, it might confuse and get in the way of that really difficult work that you have to do. That's just my thought about that. Can I just add one thing? And this is, I think, something that you know you need to take into account when you're approaching these relationships is that a lot of this, the communication that you're getting and, and the and the signs of support that you're getting and people reaching out to you. A lot of it is also just fishing for details about your relationship. <laughs> that is like 100% what's going on here, too. And it is another good reason to set up some boundaries is that nothing makes people more curious than the breakup of a relationship about what happened and what's going on and what's going to happen next. It is OK for you to also lock down and, and keep people at an arm's length for that reason, too. Uh, and it's also another reason to sort of recommend, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say in, in your transparency, stop prying for details. Details, but it is another good reason why to maintain some distance there right now. Uh, that is really cynical and probably true. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Tell me about a time that you heard about a breakup that you did not, even if you knew it wasn't right, that you did not actually want to know what happened. You know you did. I mean, of course I do. Obviously <laughs> I do, but I assume that other people are bigger than me. But what you're suggesting, and I like it, is that maybe they're not. I mean, it, it could also be, I mean, I know like just the uh, the other side of this is that this this person's been, these people have been related to this guy his whole life. They may know he's an asshole and they may just sort of be like, look, we know he's an asshole. Like we're, we, we feel some level of responsibility around the fact that he acted the way that we've known him to act and we just want to make sure you're okay. That could also be part of it or it could be a combination therein. But either way, I think the, the boundaries are important for your own transitional sake. All right. Uh, thank you for your letter. I'm sorry you're going through this. It seems like a really hard situation. Good luck. Time now to take another letter from a listener. This one, again, came to us by email, momanddadatslate.com, once again being read by Shasha Leonel. Hello, Mom and Dad. Just a little background before I ask my question. We have a blended family. I have a six-year-old son, 
and he has a five-year-old daughter. They are 10 months apart. We have been married a little over six months now, but have been together four years, with all of us living together for the last three years. That would mean I have been in his daughter's life since she was about a year and a half old, and he has been in my son's life since he was just over two years old. We have them one full week, and then they both go to their other parents' homes for a full week, so on and so forth. Even though my husband has been in my son's life since he was young, my son does not respect my husband. He always talks back to him and combats everything he says. Obviously, I'm not okay with this, but I am having a hard time correcting it. He does this with me as well, but not to the extent that he does it with him. My husband is truly a wonderful person and father, taking on many of the duties in parenting roles and frequently playing with the children and taking the time to teach them things. But I feel like he has brought some of this lack of respect on himself. He is a big antagonizer to both the children, but more my son, teasing him about things, rubbing things in his face, and sometimes fighting with him as if he were a child himself. I have talked to him about this numerous times, and he always says he understands and will try to be better, but in the moment does the same actions. He also frequently makes a mountain out of a molehill, yelling about something that's not important or that he has misunderstood. This is also partly my fault because I do acknowledge that I let my son get away with more than he should. And also, my children have witnessed me not giving my husband the respect I should always role model. Because, quite frankly, I'm so frustrated with my husband's actions in the moment and will call him out. Also, when he is acting this way, I have a hard time having a united parent front because I'm simply not going to allow our son to be treated in a way I don't agree with. His parenting style is a little more old school. I am the parent, do as I say. Whereas mine is, they are little people and they have a right to voice their feelings. I thought with time this would get better, but it is getting worse. Every time I leave the room and come back, the two of them are arguing. Please give me some advice on how to handle my husband in these moments and how to bridge the gap between the two of them. Thank you. This is a mess, actually. This is, this is, I think this might even be worse than you know. Because what's happening is you have every possible sort of like problematic dynamic that are all operating at sort of a low level, a low hum at this point, but they're going to grow, I think, um, given so given what I'm saying here. So like the fact that you are not on board with your partner's parenting decisions, you say that he's a great father, but then you go in to say that you actually hate the way he does this, this and that. That seems to me that you have a resentment towards his parenting, which is growing. And it, it, whether it doesn't matter if it's justified or not, it's just I'm just pointing out that that's actually an issue that's not going to go away on its own. Certainly your son is, is acting the way that kids act in situations like this. I don't know that you can sort of point to a specific thing that a, that a new step parent is doing to antagonize. But my experience has been that this kind of kids do this in every step parenting situation. It's, it's a disruptive element. And again, transition is like necessary. Here's a person. Okay. You've been together four years, but now this person, now you're married. This is, this is like the marriage is a new thing. It's been six months and the person's in the house. I don't know if they were in the house before to what extent, but the point is that it's a lot for a kid and kids have problems with it, even if the person was fine. And I know this because actually I was having this conversation with Georgia when we were traveling. She still just doesn't like Joe's partner. He's great. She admits he's great. She's like, he does nothing wrong. Everything about him is fine. I just can't stand it. I just hate it. And she's like, I just recognize that that's, 
that's just what I have to do. This is how I feel. And it's not his fault. It's mine. And she's already saying that at 13. And so I think that that's a normal thing. And Joe actually had the same experience when she was growing up and her mom remarried. She didn't like the guy. She tried to like, you know, whatever, like put vinegar in his coffee or what, you know, just whatever stuff she did. And and like, here he is like some 20, 30, 30 years later, still showing up, still taking our kids on boat rides, you know, and she just, he had to ride it out. And so I think that that, I think that that antagonism between the kid and the new step parent is normal. And I think you should stop worrying about it. I think the antagonism between you and your partner is actually a problem. And that's something that you're going to have to address maybe in a more aggressive way than, than you currently are, because I don't think things like that go away. I'm not even making a judgment on if your partner is parenting correctly or incorrectly. I'm sure he does stuff that's annoying. I'm sure you do stuff that's annoying to him. What I'm seeing is that there's actually a problem between the two of you that is going to be antagonized and made worse by the fact that the kid is continuing to be sort of like a tension element in your relationship. And you just got married. And honestly, you have to figure out how to maintain or work on the two of you's relationship and not let your kid come between it in this particular way. So I would recommend counseling at this point because I think you I think you might be a little bit in over your head in terms of managing your relationship with your partner. I actually think there's even more going on here than that. And I this uh-huh. is one of the most um, – we read this email and I just – it. You know, it, it really a lot of the details of it have really been sitting with me for a few days, um, because first of all, what everything Carvel said is right is a hundred percent natural for your son to push back against your new husband, even though you've been together for a while. Getting married does change the dynamic more. It just does. Kids know what marriage means. They know it means a long term commitment. They know what a stepfather is. Uh, they know that that's different than mom's boyfriend, etc. Um, so you know. Don't discount the importance of that transition. One of the things that really stuck out with me is this writer inner. Um, you say a couple of things. You say you let your son get away with more than he should. You say your children have witnessed you not giving your husband the respect you should always role model uh, because you call him out when he's being a jerk. And assuming that everything you wrote in this email about his behavior with the kids is true, he is, in fact, being a jerk. So here's my point. There is nothing more damaging to a child of a blended family's uh, psycho- psychology and like their their health and their feeling of comfort in their new family than the myth of the united front of parenting. You cannot do that, I don't believe, when you are a, a parent and a step-parent dealing with a blended family because your kid has to feel like they can still come to you as their parent. That relationship predated and preexisted this new relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not ask to be a member of a blended family. That is something that happened to them. That was mm-hmm. not something they opted into. So this idea, and this is something that I've been through myself, where Kevin and I have, uh, over the years, disagreed on how to deal with situations with both his daughter and my kids. Ultimately, the united front is a myth, because if I disagree with how he's like talking to one of my kids or how he's handling one of their issues, if I don't say it and my kid doesn't know I don't disagree, then my kid does not think I am on their side. And that is different in a blended family situation than it is in a non-blended family situation. I mean, you can say it's the same. And I would actually argue that it's valuable in a a non-blended family situation to to have these disagreements and be open and transparent about them in front of your kids, because your kids need to understand sometimes that there isn't always just one right and one wrong and that these are more complicated situations. But in this blended family situation in particular, 
It is critical, I think, for kids to know that they 100% of the time have somebody who not is always going to do what they want to do and is always going to let them get away with everything, but somebody that they can trust to listen to them, to to look out for them, to keep them safe. And if the situation you're describing here with their stepdad, uh, mercilessly teasing your son, pushing his buttons on purpose, engaging in five-year-old discourse with a five-year-old is true... I think you're doing the right thing by standing up to him in front of your son and showing your son this isn't okay with me. And I agree with Carvel that the way this has to work out in the long term is a counseling situation. It's a relationship situation. But I don't agree that the United Front is anything more than a myth, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to blended families. And I don't think that's what you should be aiming for here. If that's the perfection you're aiming for, you you are you're going to fail either your husband or your kids, but you're likely just going Mm -hmm. to end up failing everybody because it's an impossible thing to attain and it is a myth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You you guys have said almost all of it. I can only think of a couple things that I I, I would add to that. The first is, as Rebecca said, you know, you, the the parent and not the step-parent, have to have to be certain things for your kids. You you have to make sure that you, you are always someone that your kid can come to and someone who will always be his parent. And one of the things that you have to be in this situation is you have to be someone with whom his feelings are okay. Mm. And he's going to have a bunch of different feelings. Every kid, if their parents are not together and then one of the parents gets married to somebody else, every kid has a shitload of feelings about that. I mean, your kid is six years old and he has a stepfather who he doesn't always get along with. And he has a lot of feelings about that and that's okay. And you're his mom and you have to be okay with him having those feelings, including feelings of anger and feelings of hostility and feelings of hatred. And all of those feelings are part of your son. And so all of those feelings have to be okay with you. And he has to know that all of those feelings are okay with you. And that doesn't mean that any way that he behaves has to be fine with you or that there's no consequences for whatever kind of misbehavior or whatever. But it does mean that he needs you to be able to tolerate his feelings because otherwise you're saying to him, there's no one in the world with whom you're okay. There's no one in the world who can really accept you and, in fact, who can really love you. And I know you want your son mm-hmm. to feel like you are giving him that. And mm-hmm. so you have to you have to show him that you are able to give him that, even the parts of him that are just fucking furious and <laughs> obstreperous and snotty. Mm-hmm. And then just the one thing I want to add to all this is he's fucking six years old. Yeah. Like, he always talks back to his stepfather and combats everything. He says, yeah, of course he fucking does. Yeah. He's a six-year-old. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. and if, if if you want to, you and your husband together could probably bully this six-year-old into behaving in a way that, that seems more acceptable, into, into behaving in a way where he doesn't talk back to him. If you mm. really wanted to, you could do that by force. You could, like, force him to do that. I don't actually think that that's what you want to do to yeah. your son. Could, I don't you think not it would, do that? Yeah. I don't think it would be good for him, and I don't think it would be good for you. I think you would end up regretting it. Yeah. I think that's I think that's all right. And, I mean, I, I've again, like, I feel like they're two in, – in a lot of ways, they're two entirely separate things is what I've seen from these blended family situations that, like, your relationship with your kid in, in, the, in the landscape of a new partner has to be – you have to work that relationship with your kid. And that includes like your feelings of trust and your edges and when you're angry with them and when you're frustrated and when you relieve them and when you forgive them, you have to keep that stuff focused on you and the kid because the kid gets really, really resentful if they know that like you're immediately bringing this other person into the middle of it. And I also think that your actual like partnership, the adult love relationship between you and your new partner 
is something is has to be handled on its separate terms. Mm. It's the, I know that the kid is a the stuff that's happening with the kid is a factor, but the kid themselves can't be treated as a factor. Is mm. what I'm saying. So like if I if you know if I don't like the way that you're handling the kid, then in in, in my partnership, then we that's about our communication. That's about our trust. That's about uh, our our systems of communication. That's about all that stuff. It's not about the kid. Right. It's about the situation that we have to navigate together as partners, and that's where I'm seeing the biggest problem. Although I'm also, although Rebecca points out that the way you're framing this is also showing for me problems between you and the relationship with the kid, and that problem is you're sort of blending these two things. Uh, you're sort of inserting this new par- partner into your relationship with your kid, and inserting your kid into this relationship with your partner. And I think they have to be thought of kind of separately. I agree. I mean, I think you're right, and I, I think that the idea too. That, you know, trying to model the respectful relationship, that's all well and good when you're talking about how to treat each other when you're having a disagreement over what to order for dinner or how to treat each other when you're having disagreements about money or or whatever. But when if, if, if what you're if what you think you should be doing is deferring to your husband's point of view or being, quote, respectful, when you actually see him being a dick to your kid, I think you're modeling exactly the right thing by pushing back. I really do. I mean, I don't think you want your kid to end up in relationships where he's being mercilessly bullied and teased and and just says, well, in order to be respectful, I just have to be okay. You don't want that. You you want them. It's okay to draw those boundaries is what I'm saying. And and, and what Carvel said is absolutely right. This is ripe for a situation where you have a relationship problems and it gets blamed on a little kid. And that is in no way something that you should uh, feed. You should not feed that poisonous tree. All right. Uh, Thanks for writing in. I hope this was helpful. Good luck. It's time now for recommendations. Carvel, what are you going to recommend? I am going to recommend a book that Georgia read, completed, and loved. And the book is called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And that is a hardcover sort of YA book by the writer... Erica L. Sanchez, it was the winner of the National Book Award, and the story, as Georgia has explained it to me in the car, is about uh, a a teenage girl who loses her sister um, in some kind of uh, tragic way, and um, the sister was sort of the bad kid, and this was the good kid, and then as the situation goes—or, sorry, the other way around, the sister was the good kid, and this was the bad kid, but then as this kid tries to, like, process her own identity and her sister's death, she finds out that her sister had more going on than she did, and she finds out that she herself isn't the bad one one that she's just the normal one it's about finding identity it's about dealing with your sense of identity as it relates to culture and georgia was just really affected by it and really thought it was great and could not wait to tell me about it so i'm i can't wait to tell you about it that is i am not your perfect mexican daughter by erica l sanchez i'm going to recommend a methodology for uh flipping a four-year-old boy over um (laughs) of course you are how big is the spatula you need for this you start with the four-year-old boy lying on on a bed and you're standing at the foot of the bed and he's about a yard away his feet are about a yard away from the foot of the bed and you grab him by the ankles Uh pull him swiftly towards you while at the end of the pull sort of jerking up Uh and what you'll see is that he he flips upside down and his feet go over towards the pillow absolutely and it can be very surprising to him and also extremely exciting in a way that might at first be terrifying until he realizes that actually it was exhilarating so 
That's my recommendation. I know for exactly you. what you're talking about. We used to do this exact same thing. Yeah, it is terrifying to them because yeah. it's just the way of being flipped is so un- they're so not used to it. Right. They go through all the emotions in a split second. It's a beautiful thing. That's right. And and he'd never it had never happened before. I had never thought to do it before. He had never experienced it before. So he wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And suddenly he's upside down, and then all of a sudden he's back face down on the bed. <laughs> just just a remarkable uh, method for flipping a four year old child. Just another game in Gabe's house called What the Hell Are You Doing to My Son, Gabe? (laughs) Oh, it is important that you get enough elevation on the lift because what you don't want is to catch the child's chin on the bed, snapping his head backwards on his neck and potentially paralyzing him. I'm going to write this down. Don't kill the child or paralyze him. That is an an essential caveat. Very important detail. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and make a note of that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca. Rebecca, do you have any any methodologies for flipping a 17-year-old boy, perhaps? I don't. But what I'm going to recommend is not a thing or a, a media product. It is a uh, – it's just – I just want to do – can I recommend, like, something that I just know will be reassuring to, like, a lot of parents who are listening to this podcast? Absolutely. Uh, to follow up on our conversation from, I guess, last week, my son has made a college decision. And what I want to mm. recommend to people listening who might be in the situation – where they're still waiting to hear or where they haven't made a decision yet is my recommendation is just to know and be completely sure that the way it feels when that decision has been made is so ecstatically good. It feels so good, even if it's completely different than you thought it might be, even if you never saw it coming, even if it was an unexpected turn of events. Just knowing what's going to happen after like a year long process, just having a resolution and knowing it feels really good. So if you're in that place right now, that like dark place of not knowing and wondering and thinking, how are we going to talk about it? How are we going to do it? Do I even know, as I found myself in the situation, do I even know where my kid has been accepted or rejected from schools? Um just know and hang on to this feeling because I'm telling you, it feels great. And that's my recommendation is just to try to believe that because when you see it, you'll know it's true and then maybe a little bit of your stress will kind of dissipate. So that's my recommendation. It's like you're at the very end of a romantic comedy where the protagonists are a woman and her son's college choice. Exactly. <laughs> And that's our show. Slate Plus members, stick around to hear me talk to Allison Benedict about an incredible April Fool's parenting fail. If you have a question you want us to address, you can call us on our phone number, which is 424-255-7833. You can tell us what you thought of the show at our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Slate Parenting, or more sensibly, just go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy. I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week. That's the end of the show, but if you were a Slate Plus member, it would not be the end of the show because you would be hearing this. Fast forward, coming home that night, unlocking the front door. As I'm unlocking the front door, I'm realizing, shit, I didn't think of any April Fool's thing to either present to Sam that we could do to Dad or to just, like, play on them. Okay, that's a little taste of our Slate Plus segment this week. If you want to hear that segment and another like it every week, Go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus right now.